Over the past few weeks, we've been working our way through the book of 1 Thessalonians. And if you have your Bibles with you, I invite you to turn with me to that book. And today we're going to have a look at chapter 2 and verse 14, all the way through to chapter 3 and verse 13. The book of 1 Thessalonians is actually a letter which was written by a man called Paul to a group of Christians living in the Greek city of Thessalonica, or Thessaloniki, as it is called today. Paul had visited the city in 50 AD to tell people the good news about Jesus, that Jesus is the long-awaited Jewish Messiah, God come in the flesh to live and die for our sins on the cross. And Paul's preaching had been very successful. A number of people had come to faith in Jesus. But his preaching had also raised the jealousy of the Jewish religious leaders. And these leaders had gone down to the marketplace and there they'd hired a few thugs to start a riot. And so Paul and his companions, Silas and Timothy, had to abandon their mission. And Paul was really upset at this turn of events. He had to leave the city and leave this little group of Christians to fend for themselves. Were they going to make it? Would they keep going in their faith, especially in the face of opposition? And as soon as he could, Paul sent Timothy back to the city to see how this group of Christians were doing. And Timothy has just returned to Paul to tell him that the Thessalonians were fine. In fact, they were more than fine. They'd become an example and a beacon to all of the other churches in Europe. And so Paul sits down and writes to them to express his gratitude to God for them and to urge them to keep going in their faith. He also wants to explain to them why he hasn't been able to visit them, which is the section that we're going to look at this morning. Let's have a look. Chapter 2 and verse 14. For you, brothers and sisters, became imitators of God's churches in Judea, which are in Christ Jesus. You suffered from your own countrymen the same things those churches suffered from the Jewish people, who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to everyone in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. In this way, they always heap up their sins to the limit. The wrath of God has come upon them at last. But brothers and sisters, when we were torn away from you for a short time, in person, not in thought, out of our intense longing, we made every effort to see you. For we wanted to come to you. Certainly I, Paul, did again and again. But Satan stopped us. For what is our hope, our joy? or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes. Is it not you? Indeed, you are our glory and joy. So when we could stand it no longer, we thought it best to be left by ourselves in Athens. We sent Timothy, who is our brother and God's fellow worker in spreading the gospel of Christ, to strengthen and encourage you in your faith, so that no one would be unsettled by these trials you know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted, and it turned out that way, as you know. 
For this reason, when I could stand it no longer, I sent to find out about your faith. I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you, and our efforts might have been useless. But Timothy has just now come to us from you, and has brought good news about your faith and love. He has told us that you always have pleasant memories of us, and that you long to see us, just as we also long to see you. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. For now we really live, since you are standing firm in the Lord. How can we thank God enough for you in return for all the joy we have in the presence of our God because of you? Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Now may our God and Father himself and our Lord Jesus clear the way for us to come to you. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. May he strengthen your hearts so that you'll be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. This is God's word. It was the best of times. It was the worst of times. So begins Charles Dickens's novel, A Tale of Two Cities. And I guess that that would be a pretty good description of the experience of the Christians in the city of Thessalonica almost 2,000 years ago. In chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says of these Christians, In spite of severe suffering, you welcomed the message with the joy given by the Holy Spirit. It was the best of times, great joy given by the Holy Spirit, but it was also the worst of times, severe suffering. And so our theme today is how to make the best of your worst of times. I didn't think up this clever title all by myself, I did have help. How to make the best of your worst of times. As I read through this passage, I was struck by how many negative words and phrases Paul uses. I don't know if you noticed it as we read through, but listen to some of those phrases again. Verse 14, suffered from your own countrymen. Verse 15, killed, drove us out, hostile to all people. Verse 16, in their efforts to keep us from speaking. Verse 18, but Satan stopped us. Chapter 3 and verse 3, trials. Verse 4, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. Verse 5, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you. Verse 7, in all our distress and persecution. There are 12 very negative terms that are used in these short verses, which seem a little bit strange if you think about it. Paul is talking to these believers about their life in Christ and yet in his description of their spiritual journey, he uses all these negative phrases. Why? Because Paul here is describing the normal Christian life. Life in general, and the Christian life in particular, often includes the worst of times. Why do we face the worst of times in our lives? Where do these worst of times come from? Well, there are several reasons, actually, 
and we see some of those reasons in this very passage. Firstly, in these verses, Paul speaks about Satan. In verse 18, he says, For we wanted to come to you, but Satan stopped us. And in chapter 3 and verse 5, he says, I was afraid that in some way the tempter might have tempted you. Now, the idea of the devil or Satan seems quite quaint or humorous to people in our modern society. In our modern scientific world, who believes in the devil anymore? But actually, if one takes a long, hard, considered look at our world, the killing fields of Cambodia under Pol Pot, the genocide in Rwanda, Joseph Kony and the Lord's Resistance Army in Sudan, how can, can one not believe in a malevolent evil force? I remember many years ago reading an article in the Reader's Digest, one of those real-life crime articles. And in that article, a policeman who'd served in the crime scene investigative unit for several years said this. He said, anyone who does not believe that the devil roams this world has clearly never been part of a CSI team. In fact, there's a pastor in England who has a friend who was a lawyer with the police department in England, and he wasn't a Christian. And the level of evil that he encountered working with the police led him to believe in the existence of the devil, and that in turn led him to believe in God, and so he became a Christian. According to the Bible, we have an enemy who opposes us, someone who wishes to lead us into sin and the destructive consequences of sin. And some of the bad times in our lives then are due to Satan and his activity. However, we can't blame all our difficulties on the devil. One of my favorite cartoons is Calvin and Hobbes. And uh, in one of those comic strips, Calvin asks his stuffed tiger, Hobbes, this question. Do you believe in the devil? You know, a supreme evil being dedicated to the temptation, corruption, and destruction of man. And Hobbes says, I'm not sure man needs the help. To which Calvin replies, you just can't talk to animals about these things. There is some deep theology in Calvin and Hobbes, because Hobbes is right. Man doesn't always need the help. Sometimes our worst of times comes because of man, because of the sin of others. That's the second reason, not simply Satan, but the sin of others. In verses 15 and 16 of chapter 2, Paul speaks about some of the Jewish people who killed the Lord Jesus and the prophets and also drove us out. They displease God and are hostile to all people in their effort to keep us from speaking to the Gentiles so that they may be saved. The riot in Thessalonica that forced Paul to leave a group of people that he dearly loved was due to the sin of others. And sometimes the hard times that we experience in our own lives are due to the sin of others. Perhaps I find myself on the receiving end of a drunk driver or an abusive husband. My house is broken into, or I get mugged. I experience pain and suffering due to the sinful choices of others. Even big things like famines or homelessness or poverty can often be traced back to the sinful choices of others. 
the selfishness of governments that spend more on their armed forces than they do on feeding their people. Thirdly, some of our worst times come from living in a fallen world. Things like cancer and genetic disorders, disease and death were never meant to be part of God's perfect world. You may remember that in John chapter 16, Jesus mentioned the difficulty of living in a fallen world. He said, in this world you will have trouble, but take heart, I have overcome the world. But before we are too quick to blame our difficulties on Satan or a fallen world or others, we have to acknowledge, fourthly, that sometimes we bring difficulties on ourselves. Our worst times can be due to our own sin. If I go out on a Friday night and get drunk and then get into my car and wrap myself around a lamppost and get arrested, I cannot cry out to God and say, Oh Lord, why is this happening to me? Sometimes the difficulties that I experience in this life are a consequence of my own sinful choices. There is, though, a fifth cause for the difficulty in this world that is unique to only a certain percentage of the population. And that is the suffering that comes from being a Christian. Have a look again at chapter 3 and verses 2 to 4. Paul says, We sent Timothy to strengthen and encourage you in your faith so that no one would be unsettled by these trials. You know quite well that we were destined for them. In fact, when we were with you, we kept telling you that we would be persecuted. And it turned out that way, as you well know. Aiming to live a life that pleases God involves suffering. Why does this happen? Well, hopefully it's not because we are obnoxious or awkward or insensitive in sharing the good news about Jesus or that we adopt a holier-than-thou attitude. If we are like that, then quite frankly, we deserve all the suffering we get. But genuine Christian suffering comes about because essentially a Christian is someone who is swimming upstream against the tide of the world. He or she challenges the beliefs and the behaviours of the world and the world does not like it. The world seeks to suppress and deny the truth of the gospel. And being a Christian also involves internal suffering. It involves the inward tearing that comes when everything within me longs to go in this direction and do this thing, when I know full well that God's word tells me to go in that direction and do the opposite thing. Being a Christian isn't for sissies. And Paul and the Thessalonians knew this. And so those are some of the causes of difficult times in my life. The work of Satan, the sin of others, living in a fallen world, my own sin, and suffering as a Christian. Sometimes we know where difficulties come from, and sometimes we don't. It's probably not worth trying to figure out where some of our difficulties come from, because maybe we will never know. A better question to ask would be, what do I do when I face the worst of times in my life? And again, this passage helps us. In these verses, Paul mentions a number of things that can help us make the best of our worst of times. 
I think the key verse here is chapter 3 and verse 8, where Paul says, For now we really live since you are standing firm in the Lord. What do we do in the worst of times? We stand. It's a military term. Don't break ranks. Don't desert. Don't run away. And Paul goes on to give us some ways in which we are to stand firm. Firstly, Paul says we are to stand firm in faith. The word faith is used five times in these verses. Paul sent Timothy to the Thessalonians to find out about their faith and to encourage them in their faith. He says he hopes to see them soon so that he can supply what is lacking in their faith. And then he says in verses 6 and 7, Timothy has just now come to us from you and has brought good news about your faith and love. Therefore, brothers and sisters, in all our distress and persecution, we were encouraged about you because of your faith. In the midst of great difficulty, the Thessalonians stood firm in their faith. Another word for faith is trust. In our worst times, we trust that God knows that God cares, and that God is somehow involved in what we are experiencing. In Romans chapter 8, the Bible says, And we know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who have been called according to his purpose. Sometimes we ask the question, why is this happening to me? But if we're Christians this morning, we know why this is happening to us. In 1 Peter chapter 1, the Apostle Peter writes to Christians who are experiencing the worst of times, and he says to them, Now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief in all kinds of trials. And then he answers the why question. He says, These have come so that your faith of greater worth than gold, which perishes even though refined by fire, may be proved genuine and may result in praise, glory, and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed. Why is this happening to me? This is happening to me to make me more like Jesus, if I will let it. And so James, the half-brother of Jesus, goes so far as to say, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Let perseverance finish its work so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. Recently, I was reading an interview with Billy Graham's daughter, Anne Lotz, who last year discovered that she had breast cancer. And in the interview, she said that when she first received the news from the radiographer, he took her hand and asked her, Mrs. Lotz, are you okay? And she replied to him, I'm fine. And I'm fine because I know God is in control. God knew from the time I was born that this would happen. She went on to say, Many people who are diagnosed with something like this wonder, Why did this happen to me? Why didn't God protect me? Does he not love me? What did I do to deserve this? I felt like I needed to set an example as someone who loves the Lord. I love him more today than I did when I was first diagnosed. This cancer is not any indication that I've been bad or that he doesn't love me or that he hasn't blessed me. It's just my assignment. It's what he's given me so I can use it to glorify him.
One writer that I read this week said this about our difficult times. He said, when trouble comes, don't let your first response be why, but let it be the affirmation right in the thick of it. I believe in God the Father Almighty and in his Son and in the Holy Spirit. In our worst of times, we stand firm in faith. Secondly, in the worst of times, we are to stand firm in prayer. Verse 10, Paul says, night and day we pray. One of the things that we are to do in times of difficulty is to pray, but to pray carefully, intelligently, earnestly, and frequently, and deliberately. You see, sometimes I might be in a difficult situation and someone asks me, are you praying about it? And I say, of course I'm praying about it, but actually I'm really not. I'm thinking about the problem. I'm worrying about it. It's always on my mind. I'm having all sorts of imaginary conversations in my head about the problem, but I'm not praying about it. I need to take time out to deliberately and specifically lay out this burden before God. Thirdly, in the worst of times, we are to stand firm in fellowship. Chapter 3 and verse 10. Night and day we pray most earnestly that we may see you again and supply what is lacking in your faith. Paul had sent Timothy to encourage the Thessalonians. He was writing to them to teach them and help them, but he longed to be with them. You see, there's no substitute for face-to-face fellowship. Often, when we are in times of trouble, we want to isolate ourselves. We want to be alone. We say, I can't go to church at the moment. But that is the worst possible thing we could do. God designed the Christian life to be lived in community. You can't really follow Jesus by yourself. It's only as we come together and we worship together and we pray together and we learn together that we grow. We sit in church and somebody has the courage to confess their failings and we discover that we're not alone. We thought we were the only ones who struggled in that way, but now we realize we're not. Or perhaps we feel weak and we don't have the courage or the strength or the faith to pray about our situation any longer, but there are those who at the moment are strong and are able to pray on our behalf. Together as a church, we rejoice with those who rejoice and we weep with those who weep. Linked to that, in the worst of times, we are to stand firm in love. Chapter 3 and verse 12. May the Lord make your love increase and overflow for each other and for everyone else, just as ours does for you. These Christians were in the middle of some real difficulties, extreme suffering, Paul calls it in chapter 1, and yet Paul's desire for them is that they would love each other. In other words, even in their time of difficulty, they should be looking outside of themselves to others. Often when I'm in a time of difficulty, my focus is solely on me and my problem. And I think that in times of severe trauma, that's fine. 
you've just lost your wife and you have to look after two kids. You're allowed not to worry too much about Aunt Ethel's rheumatism. You're just trying to get through one day at a time. But for most of us, our difficulties are not that traumatic. And one of the things that can help us in this is an outward focus. I heard about a lady who was terribly depressed and had seen many doctors and counsellors. One day she went to see a new doctor and he sat and listened to her for a very long time. And at the end of their time together, he wrote her a prescription. And this lady took the prescription to the pharmacist and handed it over the counter. And the pharmacist looked at it and then he said to her, I can't fill this prescription, but you can. When the lady looked at the prescription, she saw that the doctor had written, once a week, visit the old people at an old age home. And this lady fell about laughing. And then she thought, well, why not? Nothing else has worked. And so she did. Every Monday morning, she went along and visited different people at the old age home. And within a few months, her depression lifted and she never went back to her doctor again. Now, let me say quickly that there are various types of depression. And if you find yourself in a dark place this morning, you may very well need to see a doctor or a Christian counsellor. But there is some truth in this illustration. According to what Paul says here, in our dark times, we're to look up to God and look around to others to see how we can encourage and build them up. Fifthly, in the worst of times, we are to stand firm in holiness. Chapter 3 and verse 13. May the Lord strengthen your hearts so that you will be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. What is our first reaction when we find ourselves in the worst of times? What do we think? We often say to ourselves, how can I get out of this as quickly as possible? It's a natural response. We want to get out of it. And I think that in the worst of times, the temptation is there to cut a few corners, to pull a few strings, to do a couple of shady deals in order to get out of the difficult situation as quickly as possible. Or perhaps when we're in difficulties because of someone else, the temptation is to retaliate, to get our own back, to hurt the other person. Paul's prayer here for the Thessalonians is that they would be blameless and holy even in the midst of persecution. Don't take the easy and sinful way out, the way of isolation or dishonesty or retaliation. Stand firm in holiness. Number six, in the worst of times, we are to stand firm in encouragement. In chapter 2 and verse 15, Paul speaks about the fact that those who are opposing the Thessalonians at the moment are the very same ones who killed the Lord Jesus. And when we face times of difficulty, we can be encouraged to know that we are not alone, that Jesus has been through difficulties ahead of us. He knows what it's like to be cheated, abused, abandoned, insulted, falsely accused, physically beaten, even killed. The writer to the Hebrews puts it this way in Hebrews chapter 4, For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, 
yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Finally, in the worst of times, we are to stand firm in hope. Twice in these verses, Paul speaks about the return of the Lord Jesus. In chapter 2 and verse 19, he says, For what is our hope, our joy, or the crown in which we will glory in the presence of our Lord Jesus when he comes? Is it not you? And then in chapter 3 and verse 13, he says, May the Lord strengthen your heart so that you may be blameless and holy in the presence of our God and Father when our Lord Jesus comes with all his holy ones. Jesus is coming back. One day you and I will stand before him and see him face to face. For Paul, that wasn't just a happy thought that he considered every now and again. It was the main driving force behind his life. And it particularly helped him in times of difficulty. For example, he writes to the Christians in Rome and he says to them in chapter 8, I consider that our present sufferings are not worth comparing with the glory that will be revealed in us. Gavin Reed pastors a church in England and one morning he interviewed a young man in his congregation who'd fallen down the stairs at the age of one and had shattered his back and had been in and out of hospital. And at one point in the interview, this young man said to Gavin, God is fair. And Gavin stopped him and said, how old are you? And the young man replied, 17. And Gavin asked, how many years have you spent in hospital? And the young man replied, 13. And Gavin Reed asked, do you think that's fair? And the young man replied, God has all eternity to make it up to me. This is the great message of the book of Revelation, that one day all suffering will finally be dealt with. In Revelation chapter 21, John has this magnificent vision. Then I saw a new heaven and a new earth, for the first heaven and the first earth had passed away. And I heard a loud voice from the throne saying, Now the dwelling of God is with his people, and he will live with them. They will be his people, and God himself will be with them and be their God. He will wipe every tear from their eyes. There will be no more death or mourning or crying or pain, for the old order of things has passed away. And so Paul gives us some very practical advice as to how to make the best of our worst of times. We're to stand firm in faith, in prayer, in fellowship, in love, in holiness, in encouragement, and in hope. And Paul doesn't write these words from a nice, comfortable armchair with a cup of hot chocolate in his hand. Paul writes here from personal experience. Paul bore the marks of following Jesus on his body. Just listen to how Paul describes his life in the book of 2 Corinthians. He says, Five times I received from the Jews the forty lashes minus one. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I had people hurl rocks at me until they thought I was dead. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open ocean. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea, and in danger from false brothers. I've labored and toiled 
and have often gone without sleep. I've known hunger and thirst and have often gone without food. I've been cold and naked. And yet just a few verses earlier, he said this. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. Our light and momentary troubles in comparison to eternity. It may just turn out that our worst of times are indeed our very best of times. Amen.